We are so glad to have you here for another episode of the All Things ADHD podcast. We're your hosts, Alyssa and Samantha, also known as Allie and Sam. I'm Sam. This podcast was created with the ADHD brain in mind. We have fun and engaging discussions on serious topics that affect you. Hey, it's Alyssa here. You're in luck and also in good company because both of us have ADHD. Not only do we have ADHD, but we're also ADHD coaches. Sam and I are real-life friends who met in our ADHD coach training course. We basically live, eat, breathe, and sleep ADHD. And now, for this episode of the All Things ADHD podcast... everyone. This is Sam. Today, Alyssa and I wanted to talk to you about anxiety and ADHD. If you listened to our last episode, you might realize that this is a different topic than the one we said we were going to talk about (laughs) on this episode. And I wanted to just say a little bit about why that is. So firstly, since our last episode, COVID-19 has kicked off in most of the world. And that was not the case um, when we recorded our last episode. And anxiety seems particularly relevant these days. Also, Alyssa and I both have a personal connection, a deeply personal connection to this particular topic. Yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll just jump in and talk about my personal experience uh, with anxiety. Um, I was diagnosed, well, I've, my pediatrician should have recognized this when I was younger, but she didn't. And then in high school, it just became really apparent that I had anxiety. you know, I'd just be sitting in class and I'd be so uncomfortable every time I would have to, you know, maybe talk. It was awful. Uh, my face was like permanently red. I was always sweating. It was not fun. Um, yeah. So I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety and given no help for it. It was just like this normal thing that people experience in everyday life, apparently. And this was uh, long before your ADHD diagnosis, if I recall, right? Yes, exactly. I was like 12. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so somewhat similar story with me where um, I was diagnosed uh, with depression and generalized anxiety disorder um, when I was a teenager. And then later I was diagnosed also with PTSD and quite a bit later with OCD right before my ADHD diagnosis. So I somewhat recently heard um, I can't remember where, but I heard ADHD reference as like the party disorder um, because ADHD <laughs> is almost never alone since it's accompanied by at least one other quote unquote disorder. So I uh, like to think of my ADHD as kind of an extreme extra given <laughs> the other um, mix of diagnoses I have, uh, despite the fact that I'm quite an introvert. Anyway. <laughs> So, yeah, your, your ADHD is throwing a heck of a party. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, it's super fun. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I referenced this a, a bit just a, a minute ago, but um, there is a significant coexistence of anxiety um, disorders in the ADHD population. Um, 80% of people who have ADHD will have at least one of their psychiatric disorder during their lifetime. That's from... Um, the magazine ADITUDE or Attitude. Yeah, um, no, it's like ADD-itude. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the two most common psychiatric disorders um, alongside ADHD are depression and anxiety disorders, such as uh, generalist anxiety disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. Whereas about 30% of people who have ADHD will have a depressive episode at some point during their life. So anxiety seems to be um, probably the most common disorder that's comorbid with ADHD, um, given that half of ADHD folks seem to have um, an anxiety disorder. Yeah. And, you know, in my case, my ADHD went undetected because of my anxiety. You know, it's, it's just anxiety when really I would say that a lot of my anxious ten- tendencies were because of my ADHD. I was mm. trying to cope with my ADHD symptoms and my anxiety rose to support it. <laughs> oh, supportive. Love that. Um, but yeah, there's also the fact that some symptoms of anxiety and ADHD look a lot alike. So yes. feeling restless, having trouble concentrating, that kind of thing. Um, so the presence of anxiety can magnify existing ADHD symptoms and, and or exacerbate them. And the fact that there's so much overlap in ADHD and anxiety symptoms can lead to either misdiagnosis um, or, and or a late diagnosis of one or both of those conditions. So what about, you know, useful and not useful anxiety? Yeah, um, that is an excellent question, Alyssa. Um, I think we were talking a bit before we started recording about how there is this dichotomy and also kind of a stereotype or a belief rather that anxiety is all bad, um, Mm -hmm. that it's just negative, but it can be helpful in some ways. Alyssa, maybe you could talk a little bit about the more useful side of anxiety. Yeah, yeah. You know, anxiety could be useful for problem solving. It can be excellent for our safety. You know, it protects us from that lion, the bear. The tiger. (laughs) The tiger. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, when I'm excited, I feel all of my anxiety symptoms. But I'm excited about this new opportunity. So it's really important to recognize that excitement as what it is. Excitement rather than negative or not useful anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, you know, it could be useful as energy towards forward planning. We could use all that anxious energy to do the things that we want to do. And I think that you had an example of how useful anxiety could be motivating. Yeah. Well, I guess I, my example is or more the, about, actually the opposite, right? Yeah. So my example <laughs> is more about how a complete lack of anxiety can have a negative impact. So, um, when I was 19, which is quite a long time ago now, a doctor put me in Wellbutrin, a low dose of Wellbutrin to treat my anxiety. And it worked way too well. <laughs> it got rid of all of my anxiety. Um, to the point that I was totally indifferent and stopped going to my classes in college because I was like, oh, it doesn't really matter. It'll be fine. I don't need to show up. Everything's Um, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And um, I know when I was going through this, I was like aware enough uh, of the difference there that I was like, yeah, there's this part of me that's that's totally indifferent. And that's also not good. Um, That yeah, that's going to have a negative outcome just as much as um, my sort of negative anxiety symptoms we're having. So uh, yeah. yeah, that's when I was like, okay, maybe having a little bit of anxiety 
is is motivating. It it makes me realize that it's important to go to class that for me to learn and do the things that I want to do with my life. It's useful. You were able to see the consequences because yeah. of your anxiety. Without totally. your anxiety, it's like I don't know. I don't have to do anything. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think the the fact that I was still able to be aware enough. Um, of the fact that I was feeling totally indifferent and that that would have negative consequences. Um, it was the, it was the awareness that was super important there in kind of resolving that issue for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so not useful anxiety is kind of when worrying becomes disruptive to our daily functioning. And this can take the form of, uh, rumination. And I can kind of speak a little bit to this because I have OCD, it's often characterized by rumination, which is sort of like an obsessive fixation on a particular problem. Maybe not so much a problem as like a potential problem or like a thing that might happen but hasn't. Yeah. Or a thing I, or a thing that has happened and thus we can't we may we can't like go back and change it. So it's not yeah. in our control per se. And you described it to me the other day as almost like a thought. A thought that's given, thought. given weight. Like, yeah. Thanks for that reminder. Yeah. yeah. Um, like the thing with OCD is you have, like everyone has intrusive thoughts. And if someone who has OCD has an intrusive thought, it can turn into rumination when we give that intrusive thought weight and meaning. Like we attribute a particular meaning to it. Like I am having this particular thought that's really weird. Thus, that says something about me as a person or it means that I'm likely to do that thing or mm -hmm. it's likely that 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 thing will happen rather than like, oh, what a weird thought. All brains have weird thoughts from time to time. And um, okay, I'm just going to like watch that thought fade away because I'm not attributing meaning to it. And I would be willing to bet that ADHD brains have extra weird thoughts. <laughs> totally. I mean, mine, mine does. Hard to say exactly which disorder that stems from, but yeah. <laughs> you got a party. I do. Such a party. Um, and then also worrying without a purpose is not particularly useful, but kind of have to be careful with this one. Um, because I know for me with OCD, um, I could be convinced in that moment that I did a, like that my rumination did have a purpose because I had this sort of belief that because I'm having this thought, it is actually likely to happen. Therefore me thinking about it means I'll be able to like, um, anticipate it and problem solve or, and, or pre like prevent it or avoid it happening. Mm -hmm. Um, but Alyssa, I think at some point, like we've talked a lot previously about our mutual experiences with rumination and you had an interesting example about what happened when you were worrying or ruminating once. Could, would you mind saying a little bit yeah, more yeah. about that? Um, so you and I have this cool ability to coach ourselves. And there was this one day when I was, you know, just ruminating and I was just thinking this thing over and over again. And I was basically trying to fix a situation. So I was just thinking about it over and over. How can I fix this? How can I solve this? And I just told myself, you know, you're processing the situation that just happened. And as soon as I told myself that I was processing, the rumination lifted. And I think it was because it was just like, oh, well, if, if what you're doing is processing, then you're done because you've more than processed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe over-processed. Yes, you've over-processed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it was really, really cool. Um, so, you know, like if I, at least in my case, I know this might not be the case for, for everyone, but 
if if I can kind of figure out what's underneath this rumination, like what am I trying to do here? Am I trying to fix it? Am I trying to solve a problem? Am I trying to process it? Then I can figure out, okay, well, guess what, Alyssa, you're done. You're, you're more than processed. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Alyssa and I both recently took a psychometric test for anxiety called Why Worry 2. Um, I guess there was a Why Worry 1 or something, I'm not sure, but <laughs> Why Worry 2. And I thought it was really interesting that this particular test, instead of using the word anxiety, given that it was for anxiety, used the word worry instead. Yeah, it just got me thinking about like, what is the difference between worry and anxiety? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is my opinion, um, but I think that worry is a state of mind and anxiety is a full body experience, which involves the autonomic nervous system. So like fight, flight, freeze. And I actually heard of this one to add to it, which is feign. Mm, interesting, I've heard fawn. <laughs> feign and fawn. Wait, how do you, F-E-I-G-N? Is fawn? No, 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 fawn. F-A-W-N. So there's okay. apparently now there's now been like fawn and fawn. I thought you were just like word. pronouncing it in a different way. I was <laughs> no. pronouncing it wrong the whole time. Right. Or like we discovered that there's like a different pronunciation between Canada and the U.S. Like that yeah, would be kind no, of hilarious. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I also think that worry is a product of anxiety and also anxiety is a product of worry. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think that's a really useful distinction. The why worry to test that we took talks about how, sorry, let me step back a bit. When I was looking up the why worry to questionnaire, I found an article that um, spoke about it that said that positive beliefs about worry are theorized to maintain excessive and uncontrollable worry, the hallmark of generalized anxiety disorder. And the why worry to questionnaire um, measures five positive beliefs about worry. Positive beliefs about worry. Um, <laughs> and also, like, it's beliefs. That right. doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. It's not like five positive facts about yeah. worry. <laughs> yeah, five positive beliefs. So those are, um, one, that worry aids in problem solving, which I think Alyssa and I both scored very highly on. Two, worry helps motivate, which was one of my higher ones. Um, three, worrying protects the individual from difficult emotions and the event of a negative outcome, which was one of my higher ones as well. Four, the act of worrying itself prevents negative outcomes, which I think that we actually both had a relatively low score on that one. Yeah. yeah. Meaning like we didn't strongly believe it. Um, and that, and the fifth one is worrying is a positive personality trait, which is like, wait, what? Yeah. Um, cause I, that wasn't the lowest one for me, but I still had a relatively like high score. Um, even though it was like, I think the second lowest one for me. And, and uh, we actually scored the same on that one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We both got a 12. Yeah. Yes, we did. <laughs> um, and yeah, we spoke a little bit about this previously, um, about worry as a positive personality trait. Cause I didn't, I was shocked that I had this belief in <laughs> any way. Um, and then I looked at the questions that were attributed to that particular belief. And I realized that, um, I see worry as a positive personality trait for me because it means that I can, like, I'm more likely to be able to somehow manage my ADHD symptoms. If I can sort of anticipate negative outcomes, um, then that means I'm like forward planning or something, which ADHDers are not. Um, 
it's not our, necessarily our forte all the time to forward plan, depending on what kind of ADHD you are. But I know for me, it's not really been my forte. Um, so yeah. Um, but I don't actually have this belief about other people. Like, I don't think that any other person in the world is necessarily like, it, you know, that worrying will mean that it... What do I want to say? I think I know what you want to say. <laughs> okay, can you tell me what you I want to say? say? Do you want to say that if somebody else in the world worries about you that, or is a worrier, then that's a positive personality trait and that that person who is worrying is caring and loving and conscientious? Mm. Actually, no. Oh. I think that... <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that worrying, another person worrying does not necessarily have anything to do with whether they are... Uh, conscientious person who's who's caring about other people it's just not related but for me it feels like it is related because in order to be caring and conscientious i have to worry quote unquote have to worry um so yeah that's my belief about myself but i don't have that belief about other people per se yes yeah um interesting i mean i would definitely say that i'm a worrier but without the worrying and this is why this is one of my beliefs. <laughs> um, I, you know, without the worrying, would I remember to care? Would I remember to be loving? Would I remember to be conscientious? I'm not sure. Yeah, that's totally it for me as well. As like, oh, I have ADHD. I'm just going to forget things all the time, aren't I? So if I worry about it, then I won't forget it. <laughs> right. Like, I know intellectually is not really true, but the the reasons that I remember things now are that I have like a system set up that works for me and it has nothing to do with me worrying about it. In yes. fact, having a system set up means I don't have to worry about that thing anymore because I've got reminders set up that work for me so I don't forget. So something that's coming to mind right now is that one of the contradictions for those of us who have both ADHD and anxiety is that we often don't learn from our mistakes and we aren't motivated by negative consequences, yet we worry in order to hopefully prevent negative outcomes. Alyssa, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, like for the, so for the ADHD side of that, I can see why sometimes we don't understand our role in the situation. We don't um, know that we have an impact on what's going on or we, we don't have a role in what's going on. Um, this is kind of something that I've been learning a lot about recently and this is called theory of mind. So theory of mind is understanding your thoughts and your feelings and the feelings of others and their thoughts in any situation. So a lack of theory of mind would be that we don't understand what we what role we play in the situation and how our behaviors are affecting our communication and you know what we what output we have in the world. We to put it a little bit simpler, it's when you take a bird's eye view if you're looking as like a bird, let's say, above, mm -hmm. you know, a crowd of people and we're looking at one specific person which is ourselves in this situation. And this bird is looking at the role that, let's go with me, Alyssa is adding in a certain situation. So am I talking too loudly? Am I you know, too close to someone, especially now? Am I two meters away from somebody? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that's, that's basically what theory of mind is. And those of us with ADHD don't necessarily have this theory of mind. So we may not even know that in the situation we have an input? Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm, what I'm wanting, wondering is, um, does that mean that somebody who has um, a solid theory of mind or 
however you say that grammatically, um, would be somebody who can take the bird's eye view, who can sort of um, distance themselves in some way from the situation in order to have the perspective to understand how they fit in and impact the situation that they are in. Yeah, yeah. And to, to give an example to, to sort of ground this, um, like, so let's say you see this kid and you know, they're, this kid is not really getting along with their peers, but the kid thinks that they're getting along and really they're bossy and they're telling everybody else what to do. And the kid doesn't see anything wrong with that, but nobody wants to play with them because he's bossy. That is lack of theory of mind. But then once he can shift and he can know that when he's, you know, bossing people around, people don't like that. The other kids don't like it and they don't want to play with him. That is theory of mind. Okay, so this is a sort of perspective that an individual can actually learn. It's a learned skill, maybe? Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't come natural for those of us who have ADHD because we, we don't even know to focus on those things. You know, mm. like to pick up that somebody is annoyed with you is a skill. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can see you nodding and smiling. <laughs> yeah, I, but I'm also just thinking that like sometimes we, maybe this is more of a rejection sensitivity thing, but we might pick up or think that we are perceiving that someone is annoyed with us when actually it's not about us at all. It's something else entirely. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does make sense. And I've been thinking about that a lot in this context because that, like, this also has a lot to do with mind reading, like the ability to know what somebody else is feeling or thinking. And, you know, that's helpful in cert like certain circumstances. But also if you misread the other person, it could be very negative. Mm, right. If, we're, if you're not like particularly <laughs> skilled at mind reading or you just happen to not have an accurate um, interpretation at that point, then it doesn't serve us. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. It, kind of, it kind of reminds me of this other term that Sam and I have been talking a lot about, which is locus of control. And locus, of, just so you guys know, both the definitions like theory of mind and locus of control will be on our uh, podcast notes, which is, which is on our resources page. Um, so you guys can head over there and like find our resources and find our definitions and that sort of thing. Um, so locus of control is when we feel or we don't feel that we have control and impact on our circumstances and on our situations and our, and our environment. And there's an internal locus of control and there's an external locus of control. And when somebody has an internal locus of control, they think that they have control over their experiences and their circumstances. And when someone does not, like when they have an external locus of control, they don't feel like they do. Does that, does that sound right, Sam? Yeah, um, it definitely sounds like that fits my understanding of locus of control. Um, I was just wondering if I could read a, a brief excerpt from uh, yeah. one of the websites I found about this, or actually I think it's from a, it's a PDF that was available for me in university. It says, within psychology, locus of control is considered to be an important aspect of personality. The concept was developed originally by Julian Rotter in the 1950s. Um, it refers to an individual's perception about the underlying main causes of events in their life. Or more simply, do you believe that your destiny is controlled by yourself or by external forces such as fate, God, or powerful others? Yeah. I, sorry, my brain's like, brain's like racing about that definition, but it's so true. <laughs> and I think that this is definitely something that I've had to work on personally 
And I think it comes with um, time and life experience as well. I, I think as children, we are so out of control of our environment and what happens that um, we're, we're starting with this footing of having a very external locus of control. And it's justified for the most part because, um, you know, when we're very small, we're completely or mostly dependent on the, our adult caregivers and they decide what happens to us and when. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's all about, this is where that like eternal power struggle comes from between children and parents. And, and that power struggle starts very early. Um, right. And, yeah. It actually reminds me of how our parents are executive functions. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And that's really a really interesting point. Yeah, because so we have our, like our executive functions are externalized in that our parents are executive functions. And then as we're older, people expect us to internalize those executive functions, but we don't necessarily, we aren't necessarily able to do that. And wouldn't it make sense to say that results in an external locus of control? Yeah, I, that makes perfect sense when you frame it that way. Alyssa, I am thinking about how um, we haven't covered this yet, and I'd like to cover it on an, another episode in a bit more detail, but um, basically ADHD is considered by some people to be a, quote, developmental delay, and that means that certain parts of our brain don't develop um, on the same timeline as neurotypical people, and mm -hmm. that really impacts our executive function, so often we won't be able to often our brains are not developed enough um, in terms of our executive function. Like we don't catch up with other people in a, in a lot of these things until we're in our mid thirties, maybe even late thirties. And so that also seems to be linked potentially to me at least um, to this internal versus external locus of control and our ability to discern how much influence we have or how, and how much control we have on the outcomes of our actions and the situation that we find ourselves in in our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just want to say, we just like threw out the word executive function without explaining what it is. So if you don't know what it is, please look it up. And we will also have a definition and resources on our website for that too. Yeah. It's a, a really important um, component of our challenges or specific challenges when it comes to ADHD. So we'll definitely cover that in more detail in the future as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we didn't really answer the anxiety side of that question. Um, the locus of control and the theory of mind was like sort of the explanation to the ADHD side of that question. Um, and for, for the anxiety side, I would say that worry is like worry. It's almost my automatic fallback state. It's like my brain is constantly looking for stimulation and my stimulation is worrying. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. It's like, it's like your anxiety is stimulation for your ADHD brain. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. But yeah, like the worry is the stimulation. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I know for me, um, boredom is a big part of my ADHD, probably for most most ADHDers and like the sort of default state for a lot of ADHDers, the default brain state <laughs> is to be bored. And that means that our brains are understimulated. And so our brains are going to seek out stimulation wherever they can get it. And so mm -hmm. boredom actually fuels my anxiety. It also fuels my impulsivity and hyperactivity. 
rather than like my more inattentive symptoms of ADHD. Um, and perhaps uh, not surprisingly, my impulsivity can fuel my anxiety as well. Impulsivity can fuel your anxiety. Well, yeah, 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 that's, yeah. Because if, I, if, I, um, if I'm impulsive and I take actions impulsively, mm-hmm. then I will then later have anxiety about it. Yeah. Right? I'll be yeah. like reflecting back on like, oh, I did that thing, I said that thing at that time, what was I thinking? I'm gonna really like ruminate on it now. Um, when, yeah. you know, when I can't actually control that anymore, like I did that thing, mm-hmm. um, and it's in the past, all I can do is, um, learn from it and try to do things differently in the future. <laughs> but again, <laughs> but yeah, again, like often when we have ADHD, we don't necessarily learn from our mistakes as I alluded to earlier. Yeah. And like, that kind of reminds me, like, so I just spent $80 on shampoo and conditioner and, in my head. I I even like, I thought about this for a week and I was like, you know what, this makes sense. I need to, you know, I don't want to use as much, you know, uh, I don't want to use a straightener on my hair anymore. I want to do natural curly hair and this, this shampoo and conditioner is going to solve everything. So I impulsively spent $80. It didn't feel impulsive, but now it feels impulsive. $80. I was going to say it's impulsive, but you thought about it for a while. Yeah. But it's like, I don't even know if it's impulsive then, but it just feels like it because it was a mistake. Like the shampoo didn't work. It didn't do what I wanted it to do. And now I have this $80 shampoo sitting, shampoo and conditioner sitting in my shower that is, didn't work. So is that impulsive? what if it I'm did sure. work? What if it worked? Would you then say that you impulsively made the decision? No. So yeah. So maybe it's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. Yeah. But it's giving me that same anxiety, that same anxious right. feeling that you're Yeah. Having. And I, I, I just wanted to point that out because <laughs> yeah. I think that we, if we, when we have ADHD, we often assume when things don't work out that, um, you know, we are the problem or somehow we have like that anxiety afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, we assume, oh, this must be because of something I did or said, or I was too impulsive or whatever. Um, but in fact, it sounds like you spent a lot of time thinking about it and it's not really your fault that the shampoo didn't work. Um, <laughs> Right? Thanks for that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's true. It wasn't impulsivity. Um, but I definitely have that anxious feeling now. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> sorry for that tangent. So <laughs> so basically, I'll bring us back. <laughs> so we've said all this stuff about anxiety. And so what does this have to do with COVID-19? Excellent question. Um, so I've been hearing from all directions recently about people's heightened anxiety. Um, during this period where we are all, if we can, staying at home as much as we are able and being around our loved ones or being by ourselves, um, if we live alone, a lot. Um, And so we don't have our usual support system in place and we um, are not, we don't have our usual sources of stimulation. So there's a lot of rumination and kind of not useful anxiety happening um, or people are experiencing it as well as uh, having their fear fueled by the 24-hour news cycle, by social media, and by all of the contradictory advice about coronavirus that exists out there. I just want to say that I acknowledge that um, m- more than ever, like unplugging is not really, like unplugging completely is not really possible. And that's because it's important to keep up with the news, especially about COVID-19, because the fact is that we don't know that much about this disease. And we are learning new things about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and people are interpreting those new things all the time to mean certain things that they may or may not mean, um, which is often why the advice is contradictory. Um, and a lot of the anxiety that people are feeling, uh, people especially with ADHD are feeling in this current age of COVID-19 is seems to be linked to not trusting ourselves to remember to do the things that are necessary to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe. Um, so worrying that we won't remember to do or not do certain things to protect ourselves from the disease and also from the economic fallout. So what yeah. can we do about this? Yeah. And before, before I jump to, to, you know, discuss that with you, I was just, can I add something about like what I do for the news and that sort of thing? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I just realized that like, you know, I could fall down this rabbit hole, like my, my newsfeed, my, you know, iPhone front page and all that stuff is just coronavirus news, coronavirus news. And it's usually negative, you know, like there's mm -hmm. this one hospital that has this many deaths and it's really depressing and it's really sad. And I choose not to read that stuff. And what I've decided to do, because that's something that I can't do anything about and it's just going to make me sad. So what I decided to do is watch one hour a day of this conference that's related to the province that I live in. And that way I can stay informed. I can know what's going on in my area and I don't have to get over, I, I'll admit, I still get sad, but I don't have to get overly sad and completely sucked into it. So I've, I've chosen this one hour a day to dedicate. And sometimes I don't do it. Sometimes I skip a day, but that's what I try and do. Yeah, that, that, that's really smart and a great way to look after yourself during this time. I'm r relatedly, I, I mean, I don't watch an hour of news a day, but um, I do get a, a daily coronavirus update email from a particular news site that I trust. And mm -hmm. so I can read that once a day or, you know, sometimes I don't read them every single day and I'll go back and read them or something. Um, but that means that I actually like the amount of information that I am uh, consuming is more contained yeah. and I don't have to so actively sort of try to filter out what's not relevant or irrelevant irre per se, but like what it, you know, what information it should be or can affect my behaviors in a useful way, um, during this time. And what is just information that about what's happening that I can't do anything about and I can't um, take action on. Yeah, it's just like information that's overload, like, at least in my case, it's just information that's overloading me. And yeah, absolutely, we have a choice to take that in or not. Um, yeah, um, and I actually think this fits in quite well with the, <laughs> what can we do about this? No, it's true, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so what can we do? So we can make a checklist um, I am crazy about checklists. And You're the checklist queen. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, so, you know, my, my thoughts and Sam and, I, Sam and I's thoughts are you sit down with like somebody in, well, whoever you're living with, um, and you have discussion about what do you guys want to do to protect yourself? And, you know, maybe that's, okay, every time we go to the grocery store, we disinfect our um, groceries. You know, that's, to me, that's like a high level you're going all out. <laughs> um, or, you know, you, you come home and you wipe down your doorknob, you wipe down the surfaces that you've touched and you wash your hands. Actually, probably in the reverse order, you wash your hands and then you disinfect everything that you've touched. Those are just little examples of, you know, what could be on your checklist. And you, you as a family, as a unit or whoever you're staying with decides this so that you're all on the same page. And then you're not anxious about what other people are or aren't doing. 
Right. And you've got a, like a, you've got this checklist, this physical checklist that maybe you post somewhere next to your front door um, that you can reference. So if you're in a state where you're like, oh, I don't actually remember the exact order in which these things go, or I don't trust myself to remember, um, if you have ADHD, then you, you can go and reference the list. It's just right there. And you don't have to spend time worrying about it. You just know that you know, that's, those are the answers right there on the wall. Yeah. And I think it's also really important to mention that these are all habits and these are all habits that are not natural to us. Maybe by, maybe some of us are adapting those right now and it's starting to get natural, but these aren't habitual. These aren't a part of our routines yet. So it's really, it's, it's not an automatic response. Like, okay, I walk in my front door and I wash my hands. So we kind of need to acknowledge that and come up with systems and supports so that we can remember, okay, I walk in the front door and I wash my hands. You know, maybe it's like as you're leaving your house, you leave a huge obstacle that signals to you, hey, you got to go wash your hands. And then you just create this like thought in your head, okay, wash my hands, wash my hands, wash my hands, until you actually do wash your hands. Yeah, I love that. So it doesn't have to be a checklist. You can find other ways to uh, remind yourself to engage in this like chain of the specific chain of behavior um, that you want to engage in when you first enter your house from being out in the outside world. Yeah, I think though that the key is to decide in advance what it's going to be. Because if you wait till you come home, it's it's kind of too late. You're you're yeah. thinking too much like you're overthinking it. Yeah, and and I know for me personally when I'm overthinking, I can often um feel upset that mm-hmm. I don't remember, that I don't quite understand how it all fits together and I feel distressed by that. And so for me, it's super important to do that in advance when I'm not in some sort of active distress mode. Um and or in an argument with the person I live with about how we do things and what order and what's safe and what isn't, right? <laughs> I know, I feel like so naggy. Like, did you wash your hands? Are you going to wash your hands? Please wash your hands. Yep, you know? <laughs> yep, totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, aside from checklists, I think another important thing we can do right now is to keep find ways to keep our, our brains engaged um, so that we aren't um, pulled into boredom and because they're in, in boredom lies um, rumination and anxiety. So um, engaging your senses and finding creative ways to focus your brain and, and making sure that you take time to do small things every day that you enjoy or get pleasure from, get exercise or whatever you need to do, whatever works well for you to stay connected to your body in order to manage um, the anxiety that's often fueled by our ADHD-related hyperactivity, whether that hyperactivity is Uh, physical or um, mental in its manifestation. Mm -hmm. And you know what this is reminding me of? Our last podcast that we did on intentional laziness. This is Mm. a perfect time to be intentionally lazy. Absolutely. Wow. I didn't even think about that, Alyssa. I love that connection. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And related to that, make sure that you're taking time and space to emotionally process because there is some serious stuff happening to all of us right now. Um, and there's going to be a lot of processing for us as individuals as a, and as a collective once this period has passed and we can move forward with our lives in a different way. But there's also serious emotional processing to do while we're going through it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess like look out for that. Like are you, are you doing things to avoid processing the emotions? And, you know, sometimes emotions are really hard to deal with. So reach out to somebody for help if, if you need that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for me even, maybe not even, but um, 
it's not like I'm immune to this at all, but uh, I know that kind of this, what feels like a potentially endless list of tedious tasks that we now have to engage in for coronavirus um, prevention of transmission or whatever is like that has become a very effective way of avoiding processing my emotions. So I can spend all my time doing those things. And I can, um, and then I, I realized I was avoiding sitting down and journaling and meditating because I'm like, uh, that those things don't quote unquote feel productive. Me doing all of these like super tedious tasks does feel really productive, but they don't necessarily need to be done right then when I am feeling like the, the sort of pressure, the internal sort of pressure I feel when I know that I need to be emotionally processing. Mm. And it's like, it almost like makes me think like you're pro you're protecting yourself in a different way. Mm, yeah. By like doing Good all point. those tedious tasks. <laughs> yeah. I'm protecting myself from the, the anticipated um, negative emotions. I assume I will feel when I'm processing, but the thing is, is I'm not going to stop feeling those negative emotions. Yeah. Until Ah. I know, I know. I, I hate those <laughs> negative emotions so much that I always force myself to do it. I'm just like, just mm-hmm. do it. Just rip off the bandaid. <laughs> just dump it out in your journal or just have that really tough conversation that you don't want to have because it's going to eat. Well, it eats at me if I don't. So, Yeah, absolutely. I'm the same way. And also just like engaging in some sort of almost like preventative um, emotional processing practice doesn't have to be daily necessarily, but you know, daily, daily would be probably good for a lot of people, but some kind of regular thing that, mm-hmm. that you do or things that you do. Um, so you don't always have to like meditate or journal or do yoga or whatever, but you can have like a list and rotate between those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. The other thing, sorry. I know. <laughs> One thing I thought of as well is um, ADHDers thrive on connecting with others. So mm-hmm. please do not um, forget <laughs> for too long at least to find ways to connect with other people right now. I think it's really easy to sort of get caught up in our own little worlds and yeah. not, not reach out and connect with others. But we really, for most of us, that's a, a serious need. And if it's not met, then we can go a little bunkers. Yeah. Yeah. Getting stuck in our heads isn't always the most fun. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Sorry, Alyssa, what were you about to say. I was just going to say that we have a challenge for everybody. Mm, right. Yeah. So our challenge is to come up with your own checklist or, you know, set of rules for your household with those that you live with and to share it with us on our, on our Instagram page or, you know, send us email or send us a message. We would love to see what your checklists are. And, you know, or if you have any questions about making the checklist, please send them to us. Yeah, we would. We'd love to see your checklist and get your questions about any of the things that we've mentioned in this podcast, or if you have questions about ADHD and anxiety, um, about things related to that that we did not address, we would love to to read those questions and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Um, and I just wanted to also remark that um, our website has a contact form on it. So that's also a great um, private way to get in touch with us. Yeah, and you know, if making the rule list um, or the you know, the checklist doesn't speak to you, you could also share with us, you know, how, what do you do to keep your brain engaged? Or, you know, are there new tasks that you, you know, new tasks, new skills or hobbies that you want to start? Um, what gives you energy? Oh, I love that question. Yeah, that's the best. I love that one too. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us this time. And um, thank you, Alyssa, for another um, sparkling conversation. I hope it was helpful for a lot of our listeners. Yeah, thanks. I always have fun chatting with you. <laughs> Likewise. Okay, everyone, right, bye, everyone. Uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the All Things ADHD podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone who you think could benefit. Or you could leave us a review on Apple Podcast or whichever platform you have found us through. Your feedback will help others to find our content. Check out our website at allthingsadhdpodcast.com and use our contact form to get in touch. We deeply value your feedback and we do our best to reply to every message. See you next time for another episode of All Things ADHD. Oh, and if you don't already follow us on Instagram, check us out at allthingsadhd.podcast. See you next time.